Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. What a blessed hope to be able to be face-to-face with God and see your loved ones again. So, as a scriptural meditation, I will read from the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 1 to 7, then 12 and 13. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb is standing in the mount of Zion, and with him 140,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of the harpist playing the harp. They sung as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Those are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Those are redeemed from among men, being firstfruits of God to the Lamb. And in their mount was found no deceit, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach for those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the seas and the spring of waters. Now verse 12 and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, say the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their work follows them. May the Lord be glorified by His Word. I don't know about you, but I've been blessed by today's service. Have you? But I will tell you, Miss Joyce would scold me if I didn't bring you the Word. So I'm going to bring you the Word, amen? We're going to spend a little time looking at God's Word. But before I do so, would you permit me to just offer a word of prayer, ask God's blessing on what I'll share. Pray with me. Loving Father, Oh, what a special time to come together to remember, to recall memories, to think back on the wonderful times we've shared. But Father, we know this is not the end of the road. We know there is more to come. And Father, now as we turn our thoughts to your word, as we think about what it means to serve you, to receive your blessings, yea, even to consider this strange term, the blessed dead, give us wisdom, give us insight, understanding. And Father, I just submit myself to you, asking that you would pour out your Spirit on me, cover me with the blood of Christ, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Give me a word to share today, Father, that would be a blessing to those that are gathered. And I thank you in Christ's holy name. Amen. 
So if I were to ask you to recall from Scripture a place where someone received a blessing, what would come to mind? Maybe you would go back to a deceptive second son who went in smelling a little gamey, looking, feeling a little wildernessy, and deceived his father into receiving the blessing. Remember Jacob. Esau, he was really happy about that, yes or no? Not so much. In fact, it created a scenario where Jacob was running for his life for many years because he tricked his father into giving him that blessing. Maybe instead of Jacob and Esau, you would think of another blessing. Do you recall the prophet Elijah? You may recall that he had this great victory with God on Mount Carmel where God brought down fire. How many of you would love to see the instant replay of that one? I don't know if you've ever been to one of those Japanese restaurants where they cook in front of you and they almost singe your eyebrows with the fire as they get started. That's the closest I can even think of, right? That, that rush of fire. But this was a fire so intense that it consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar. But afterwards, we find this great man of God cowering in a cave. And because of his lack of foresight and faithfulness in that moment, his ministry was cut short and the mantle had to be passed. Do you remember Elisha was ready to receive a blessing? What did Elisha ask for? I want a half portion. Help me. Double portion, right? He wanted a double portion of the spirit that has been upon you. Another act of passing a blessing. Maybe you would think of, not those two stories, maybe you would think of the time that the Lord spoke through a donkey. I'm living proof that the Lord still speaks through donkeys. Balaam was called upon by the king of Moab, Balak, and said, come over. These Israelites are getting too prolific. They're just going to take over the place. They're going to suck up all the resources. Come over and curse them. But as Balaam goes over, he can't pronounce anything but what? Blessings. Maybe you wouldn't think of those stories. Maybe your mind would go to the first time, at least in our English Bibles, where the word bless is used. And it would be found in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. It's when the Lord is speaking to Abram and he says to him these words, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Notice how that works. God gives a blessing, but what is his intention for giving the blessing? Is it to be selfish and hoard it to ourselves? No, the intent for God to give a blessing is that you and I will take it and give it to others. Have we seen that in the life of Joyce Ervick? She received those blessings, her and Don, and they gave those blessings back to us. So we see that to be blessed is to be favored and increased by God. In Abram's case, the blessing was something that would flow through him to subsequent generations. As we think about this idea of God granting favor and increase to those that would follow him, those that would choose him, maybe when you think of a blessing, you come to Matthew chapter 5. Will you turn with me there? Open your Bibles if you have them on your phone, in the pew, wherever. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. You're probably very familiar, many of you, with what is 
known in scholarly circles and otherwise as the Sermon on the Mount. We find the flow of that message, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But if you're in Matthew chapter 5 with me, travel back in time. Let's go up the hillside. Let's go up the mountainside. And as we're gathering, we get a little closer. We kind of have to push our way. There's a lot of people. But we want to draw close because we know the Master is teaching. And when the Master is speaking, we want to hear. So we make our way close enough, and Jesus raises his hands to hush the crowd. And as the crowd has a silence fall upon them, notice what the scripture says in verse 2 of Matthew 5. It says, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the who? Poor in spirit. Now, wait a minute. Poor in spirit? I don't want to be poor. I want to be rich in spirit. Right? Jesus instantly kind of throws them off their footing, throws them off guard. Oh, wait a minute. What, what is he talking about? Poor in spirit. We don't have time to unpack all of this exegetically, but recognize to be poor in spirit might not be a phrase that we use, but how many of you are drawn to hang out with arrogant people? You think, man, I'm going to choose a friend. Let me find the cockiest, arrogant person, most arrogant person I can find, and that's who I want to be around. Anybody? Let me find the, the, the most narcissistic person I can find. It's not what we look for, is it? We're actually drawn to those who are poor in spirit, those who have a spirit of humility, those who aren't so wrapped up in themselves that they forget everybody else. I often fear for our generations, and I don't just say millennials or Gen Zers. Listen, I'm a Gen Xer, and there's just as many Gen Xers that get sucked up into social media, and the focus is often about who? <laughs> me. But Jesus says, no, the blessing comes for those who are poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice verse four. This one might have specific or important, or excuse me, special importance for you today. Blessed are those who mourn. Wait a minute, again, time out. How is it a blessing to mourn? It's not because you've suffered loss. Oh, congratulations, you've lost somebody. I'm happy for you. That's not what it's saying. The blessing is found when we mourn. Notice the next part of it. What do you find in the second part of verse four? Blessed are they that mourn. Why? They shall be comforted. And it's not just the comfort of the gathering of friends. There are a lot of people who, when they lose something, friends will gather and help comfort them. This is in a spiritual context. This is the Savior speaking. The indication is true comfort will be found when you're comforted by the one who loves you above all others. Blessed are they that mourn who trust Jesus. That's the implication, for they shall be comforted. We could go all the way through this. I'll take just number five, verse five. We'll look at just one more of these. They're typical blessings, right? These are familiar blessings. These are things that we're, we're used to hearing as Christian believers. Blessed are who in verse five? Now think about this. Put yourself back on that mountainside and think about being a first century Jewish believer. What's the structure of your government at this time? Are you a free people or an occupied people? How many of you would get excited about being an occupied people? I don't know about you, but I love our country, and I love the fact that we have the freedoms that we have. Amen? 
I love that we can assemble and worship according to the dictates of our conscience. Nobody persecuting us, pushing us out of our churches, saying, no, you have to do this way, you have to live this way. At least not yet. We still have our freedom. These people were longing for freedom. They were looking, I believe, for Jesus to perhaps say, blessed are the strong that can overcome their occupiers. It's a familiar blessing to us, but it would have been very strange to them. They weren't looking for some teacher to come along, some messianic arrival to say, wait a minute, blessed are the meek. When you think of the meek, what do you think of? Do you think of those that are the strongest? We tend to associate meekness with weakness. But I'll tell you what, when you have the power to do something and you hold it back, that shows greater power than exercising it over others. Is that fair? Yes or no? I mean, how much power did Jesus have? What did he say to Peter there in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas comes up, gives him the kiss of death, Peter whips out his sword. I would like to hang out with Peter. This guy, he was something else. But he whips out his sword, cuts off the dude's ear. Can you imagine? What did Jesus say? Listen, put that away. At any moment, I could call down legions of angels and take care of this. Jesus had a power at his fingertips, friends, that you and I can't even comprehend. You talk about a commander-in-chief. Jesus was the ultimate commander-in-chief. But what did he portray? Meekness, gentleness, compassion. You see, true strength is restraining that which you could exercise over others. And so Jesus is trying to tell them there's a blessing here for the meek, those who who don't exercise power over others, but wait upon the Lord to do what he's going to do in their lives. And notice the promise. They shall inherit the earth. Mercy, what a promise. So when I look at these blessings, and we could go all the way through them. I've preached on these different passages over and over. I, I love looking at them. I love revisiting them. These are familiar blessings. We even refer to them. Do any of you in your Bible have a heading for what this section is called? What do we call them? The Beatitudes, right? These beautiful promises, these beautiful blessings. But I would submit to you that Matthew chapter 5 is not the only place in the New Testament where we might find a Beatitude. I want to take you back to the scripture reading that Pastor Mabio shared with us earlier on in our service today. Go with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 14. For many, Revelation is a book that is filled with strangeness and wonder, confusion. In fact, Martin Luther, if you go back and do a little looking in history, Martin Luther never really even fully accepted that the book of Revelation was inspired. Of course, we as Christians today know that it is, and we see a great blessing In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anything that reveals Jesus in a deeper way to us, that's going to be a blessing. What do you say? So we find this also in Revelation 14. And I want to take you down towards the end of the passage. Pick up with me in verse 12. If you're there, just say a little amen. Let me know you're with me. Here is the patience of who? The saints. Who were the saints? Are the the saints those who have 
given a few miracles and so they have been elevated? No, in the Bible, when it mentions the saints, it's simply talking about those who have chosen God and want to live by his understanding. So today, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're living for him, guess what? You're one of the saints of God. doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means you're connected to the Savior who is. Amen? Blessed, or here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So we see some earmarks, if you will, of faithfulness. But then notice the last part of this message. In this series, beginning in verse 6, it ends here. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, and here comes, here comes something very strange, just as strange to our ears as were the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 to the ears of those back in Jesus' day. Blessed are the who? I think Siri's talking to me. There are times that I activate Siri when I'm preaching on my watch, and I have to say, be quiet, Siri. But blessed are the dead. No question for you. How many of you would initially think, man, what a blessing it is to be dead? It's a little strange, isn't it? It's, it's one of those things that when we hear it, it almost sounds like, uh, what's that, that English description? An oxymoron, right? Thank you, Mrs. Khalil, our teacher. Thank you for keeping me straight. I need all the help I can get. But an oxymoron, right? Two words that are conjugated together that under normal circumstances don't seem to make sense. I would submit to you that the phrase blessed dead seems to be a little oxymoronic on the surface. No, wait a minute. I would prefer blessed are the living. Donnie, I got just a little upset with you. Talking about going to Burger King and Arby's, you're starving me to death. <laughs> Sitting there in Kmart watching people Blessed are the living that I can go to Arby's with them. Blessed are the living that I can come to church with them. Blessed are the living that we can celebrate together. Blessed are the living that we can live together. That's where my mind naturally goes. So it seems odd. How can the Bible tell me blessed are the dead? Well, we can't stop there. We have to let Scripture explain Scripture. And saints, that's a message I hope that you take with you into every time you read the Bible. Let the Bible speak for itself. What do you say? You don't need a bunch of pastors or theologians to tell you what it means. Let the Bible speak for itself and notice what it says today. Blessed are the dead, but notice there's a qualifier. This doesn't fit everybody who dies. What's the rest of the verse say? Blessed are the dead who what? Die in the Lord. So what does that mean? Let's break that down. Let's, let's take it out of the Christian speak. To die in the Lord simply means that I go to my grave, I take my sleep, my rest in dead, but my relationship with Jesus Christ was firmly secure. Now, sadly, not everybody who has to taste of death has a saving relationship with Jesus. Is that right? Yes or no? However, I don't think I've ever been to a funeral where anybody, they got up and said, you know, he was such a rascal, wasn't he? We always want to say the best things about people. Caleb, I appreciated in a weirdly ironic way, you exposing a little bit of Grandma Joyce's humanity. And it was humanity. 
But aren't you thankful that we're not left with that humanity? We can have that connection with Jesus Christ to overcome our humanity, right? To change who we are. And so the qualifier, the qualifier here in Revelation is blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. So if I have to taste death, if you has to have to taste death, it's a blessing if I taste that death with Jesus. And now notice there are some other things that follow. Yes, says the Spirit. We're in part B, second part of verse 13. Yes, says the Spirit. Why are they blessed? That they may rest from their labors. In one of the testimonies we just heard, one of you were sharing, and Marilyn, it may have been what you were reading, I think, where Joyce didn't complain of any pains, any aches, any illness. But what did she say? I'm tired. I'm weary. Do you think that our sister was willing and ready to rest from her labors? Absolutely. And notice the last part. And their works follow them. We have spent the last hour together talking about the works that followed our dear sister Joyce. Those memories. Marie, thank you so much for sharing that story of the Christmas tree and she told me about the refrigerator last night. All the, all the, you couldn't even see the front of the fridge with all of the pictures and drawings and memories. Her works have surely followed her. So there's a blessing today to be had. Not one that we think about, oh yeah, we're so glad that she... No, that's not what it means. But it means because she went to her rest with Jesus, we can take that as a blessing that the next face that she will see will be none other than her saviors. You say, well, Pastor, how can you say that? Well, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, and you don't have to take my word for it. Let me share with you just one last passage. Turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter what? Chapter 4, which verse? 13, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. And I love how he starts out, verse 13. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Do you know the difference between ignorance and stupidity? Some people think, well, you're ignorant to that, and they think it's a put down. Ignorant just means you don't know. How many of you in here today are brain surgeons? Any brain surgeons? That means that we are all ignorant to how to conduct brain surgery. doesn't mean it's a bad thing. We just don't know it, right? But if I were taught how to do brain surgery and then didn't hold on to that learning, that might be in the territory of stupidity. There's a difference. He just says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, concerning those who have what? Saints, he's not talking about laying down at night. He's talking about the sleep of death. You say, well, that's kind of weird. Why is death called a sleep? Well, it's what Jesus called it, right? Paul didn't create this understanding. He's simply borrowing from Jesus. Anybody remember the story of a guy named Lazarus? Do you remember that they told him that his friend Lazarus was sick? Jesus said, he'll be all right. He tarried. Instead of headed over to Bethany where they wanted him to come, he, he took his time and finally, he says, I must go to my friend Lazarus and wake him for he sleeps. 
Go and read the story in John chapter 11 for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Check it out. But the disciples, they weren't paying attention. They said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll be all right. And finally, Jesus looked at them and he said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So Jesus uses this analogy, this metaphor of sleep to describe death. How many of you are aware of what's happening to you when you sleep? I'm not. My wife told me Thursday morning, she said, did you hear that loud crack of thunder in the night? I said, what crack of thunder? She said, well, you held my hand and made me feel secure. I'm a wonderful husband, even in my sleep. (laughs) And I didn't even know it, Michelle. Didn't even know it. I had no idea I had held her hand. Most of the time when we're asleep, we have no idea of what's happening. And see, Martha and Mary understood this because as Jesus is almost to their house, Martha goes running out and she starts rebuking Jesus. And she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said to her, calm down. You will see your brother again. And she comes back to him almost a little smart alecky. She says, well, duh, I know I'm going to see him again in the resurrection, but if you had been here, it would have prevented me having to wait. Mary essentially accuses Jesus of the same thing. Finally, we know that Jesus steps over to the tomb and he calls Lazarus forth from the dead after four days. Mercy. So now Paul is borrowing that theology. Paul is borrowing that imagery when he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware of what happens to those that are sleeping, those who are dead. Lest you sorrow, notice this. Here's why he wants to take away our ignorance. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So in other words, if you don't understand what I'm about to tell you, Paul says, you might be someone who is sorrowing without hope. I want to give you hope. How many of you'd like to have some hope today? (laughs) Oh, mercy, I want that hope. Here's verse 14. Here's how he builds to his crescendo. I love it. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, pause, how many of us today would say, praise God, Jesus died and rose again? Amen. We're in that season, right? We're in that prelude to the Easter season where the Christian world pauses to remember Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So Paul builds on that. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him, Jesus, those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by our words. Anybody paying attention to the scripture? Did I misquote it, Miss Brenda? For this we say to you by whose words? So in other words, Paul wants it to be made very clear to the church in Thessalonica, and he wants it to be made clear to me and you today, this is not my teaching, it's what Jesus gave me. I'm always going to find my safety if I follow Jesus, amen? For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. And then I love verse 16, oh, this is powerful. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Saints, I think we can add another blessing to Revelation 12, 13. Blessed are the dead 
Because on resurrection and reunion day, who gets to see Jesus first? They do. If we're alive when Jesus comes back, we will not proceed those who will be resurrected to meet Jesus in the air. Wow. But he doesn't leave us behind. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall how long be with the Lord? Caleb, when you were describing those special suppers, snacks, movie nights, those are the kind of moments that we look back on and we never want them to end, right? Those are the type of moments that, and Marie, you used the term last night, those warm and fuzzies, right? Those are those moments that just, you just tingle with warmness and affection thinking about those memories. For me, when I think about getting to spend eternity with my Jesus and with those that I've loved, I want to hold on to that. And I believe with all my heart, that's why he finishes with verse 18. Therefore, what should we do with these words? Comfort one another with these words. Precious family, I would not be so harsh or uncaring or have lack of compassion to tell you, listen, Grandma Joyce is sleeping. She's going to see Jesus at the resurrection. Suck it up and move on. I'm not saying that to you. Take your time. Mourn. Shed those tears. Remember her. But don't linger there. Remember the last mile of the way is going to be as Jesus descends through the eastern sky. And Matthew describes it as the sky rolling back as a scroll. A trumpet blast so loud that it raises the dead. John describes it in Revelation 1-7. He says, every eye shall see him. I want to be one of those eyes who sees him. How about you? And I want to be there that reunion morning, that resurrection morning, when not only do I see the face of my Jesus for whom I have longed to see, but I also get to see the face of Grandma Joyce one more time, but not just one more time, throughout eternity. It is my prayer that we would hold on to that hope of the blessed dead, that they have died in Jesus, but they rest from their labors and their works follow them. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.